Welcome to the Podcast at the Hill. You are about to hear a message from Pastor Daniel Blaylock entitled, When Will My Course Correct? from our Detour series. We're continuing our series this morning on Detour. Say Detour. And when we arrived on campus this morning, our staff experienced a Detour. Amen. We drive up and the kids' hall has been flooded and a Apparently a copper line and a fitting had come loose from a toilet and uh, we had water everywhere, amen? I was beginning to think if we didn't need that pirate ship we had up here a couple weeks ago back, amen, and just, just, just use that and have church that way, amen? We needed our boat uh, just about. It's been a pretty rough morning for everybody on our staff. I think our choir had some sound issues, just the system not wanting to act right. And so we started to come in and break out the oil and just run out gremlins, amen? We needed a morning just to chase out the gremlins. You do that once in a while. That's how it goes. And I thought about the detour we took this morning and the detours we've been preaching about, amen? My dad used to have a phrase he would say whenever people would complain about unexpected things. And he would say, son, that's just life going on. You ever heard that? That's just life going on. And I want to tell you, if there's one thing that, we, that is normal about life, it is abnormal situations that pop up on us unannounced and unexpectedly. Amen? And we've been talking about those things, and we've been calling them detours. Say it one more time. Detours. The dictionary says a detour is to turn aside. It's a, it's a roundabout way, a deviation from the direct way, a route used when the direct or normal path is closed. It is a circuitous way. I love that. We feel like we're often going in circles to get where we should be able to travel in a straight line, but life is often not a straight line. Sooner or later, every Christian faces a detour on the road to destiny. Our path gets rerouted by an unexpected setback. The children of Israel experienced that on the way to their deliverance in a couple of ways. We talked about last week one setback, one detour that was not their fault. Say it wasn't their fault. Whenever they came to the Red Sea, the Bible says there was a straight route that would have taken them to the promised land in about a three-week course. The problem was that path led right through the country of the Philistines. And God knew that his people would face war if they went that way. So the Bible says God didn't take them that way, even though it was the shortest route, because God knew they weren't ready to travel that pathway. So God took them on a roundabout way, Exodus says. And the Bible says he took them on the wilderness path. Say the wilderness You ever been on the roundabout way through the wilderness? Yes. And sometimes you end up on that path and it is not your fault in any way. God rerouted his people because for reasons that Israel could not understand at the time, God deemed it best to take them on a detour to get where they were headed. But today we're going to study a different detour that Israel experienced on the same journey. And this one was their fault. Say, it was their fault. And it's the story we find in the book of Numbers, and I want you to turn there with me, Numbers 14, beginning in the 21st verse. And we're going to pick up the story, Numbers 14, verse 21. We'll find our way in that text in just a minute. You go ahead and find your way, and I'll catch up with you in a moment. We've been answering three questions about detours. Last week we asked the question, 
what is the cause? Whenever you and I end up in some season of life that doesn't make sense, we first ask the why question. Why is this happening? What's the reason behind this? What is the cause of my detour? And we studied God's Word last week and talked about several possible options for why we experience detours. Sometimes things come on us just unexpectedly, amen? And that we want an answer. Today we'll be talking about the other question. When will my course correct? When am I going to get out of this detour? When will life get back to normal? When can I get back on the regular route that I am used to? When can my life start making progress again toward my hopes and dreams, my goals, and the things that I want to be reaching for? And next week we'll talk about how can I cope in the meantime while I'm on the service road, while I'm on this, this alternate route. Well, last Sunday morning we talked about the why, and we said three things. We said, number one, detours are always unexpected, amen? They always are something that catch us by surprise. Even though Jesus warned us they would come, nobody can really expect the unexpected, no matter how hard we try. We lose a job, a marriage ends in divorce, health suddenly breaks, a loved one dies, things happen to us that we're not expecting. And we said that in the middle of all these detours that uh, we learn how to cope and we learn how to, how to make our way through. Detours are never unusual. James said, don't, found, don't count it strange, this fiery trial that you're enduring, as though something odd were happening to you. But understand that this is the way it happens. This is not odd. All God's people pass this way. And then we said detours are often understandable. Sometimes, in hindsight, God helps us understand what he was up to in that previous season of life. We may, sometimes we get on the wrong road. Maybe we miss God's will. Perhaps someone else's sin negatively affects our lives. And we get knocked out of our lane because they got out of their lane first. And it impacts us. Sometimes other parts of God's plan haven't fallen into place just yet. And we're having to wait on God and His sovereignty to move everything, all the pieces of the puzzle together. Sometimes we're not ready for the next step in our own lives because a deficiency in our character or something that's not quite ready in our hearts. And God has to address us to get us ready for the place to which He's bringing us. And that takes some time. And so God sends us on a detour. Well, today we're going to tackle the second question, when will it correct? Say that with me. When will it correct? When do I get back on track if I'm experiencing a detour in life? Well, let's talk about that today. The answer to that question really depends on what caused the detour. If you want to know when it will correct, we have to figure out why are you on the road to begin with. And we've said already there are two kinds of detours, basically. Number one, there are some that we didn't cause, like Israel being taken on the alternate route at the beginning of Exodus. They didn't get to pick the route, and they didn't do anything wrong to end up on a detour, but God rerouted them the long way instead of the short way because of something he saw that they were not ready to face. And so God did that really as an act of his mercy and his love to them. Sometimes this happens to us. Sometimes we are in what we call a God-designed disruption. A God-designed disruption. There are things that come into our lives filtered through loving fingers over which we have no control and for which we take no blame. We didn't do anything to cause this. We didn't get ourselves in the mess. And yet we're having to deal with it and face it. The Lord understands that. And again, the Bible is full of stories like that. I think of one of my favorite Bible stories at the end of Genesis. It's the story of Joseph. And this man, if anyone ever ended up on a detour that was not his fault, 
it was Joseph, right? God gives him these dreams at age 17 of him being the ruler and his brothers and his mother and father, him being in charge over them and elevated to a higher position. And the dreams were true. God kept those promises to Joseph. And yet, what a roller coaster ride he went on to get to his destiny. He ends up, all kind of bad things happening that weren't his fault. Actually, there were a lot of other people's fault. If you don't believe your life can get impacted by someone else's sin, read the story of Joseph. Amen? I mean, here he is. His brothers are jealous of him, so they throw him in a pit to leave him for dead. One brother's going to fish him out. But in the meantime, a group of Ishmaelite slave traders show up, and they sell him to them, and he gets sold into slavery by his own siblings. Then he ends up down in Egypt and he ends up in, uh, being sold to Potiphar. And then Potiphar's wife falsely accuses him of a crime he did not commit. And he ends up not only a slave, but now he ends up in prison. And his boss is in charge of the prison. That must be nice, right? <laughs> wow. And then he ends up, not only that, but his two friends, the baker and the butler, he gets thrown into jail and they promise to help him out and he is forgotten about for another couple years and he sits there and stews in prison. What a horrible situation. He goes from bad to worse to worse yet. And none of it is his fault. He didn't bring this on himself. He is in a God-designed disruption. He is in the middle of a circumstance over which he has no blame nor any control. And he just has to trust God that it will correct when the time is right. We have that story to remember. I think about in the New Testament the story of Jesus walking on the water to his disciples. Why is he walking on the water to his disciples? Because they're in a storm, right? And remember, why are they in the storm? Because they're doing what Jesus told them to do. If you remember the beginning of the story, Jesus is going up on Mount Arbel to pray and he's sending them on across the Sea of Galilee and he's going to join them later. And while they are out on the boat in the middle of the Sea of Galilee, the Bible says suddenly a storm arose. A strong headwind set itself against the boat, meaning every time they row forward, the wind pushes them back. The, the waves are coming. The, 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 the wind is high. They're terrified. And in the middle of their storm, they see... A man walking on the water. Now you might think that's comforting, but to a sailor in Jesus' day it was terrifying because they believed that when you died at sea, the last thing you saw were the ghosts of the other people who died at sea coming up to walk on the water and bring you down to where they were. So when Peter cries out, Lord, he cries out, it's a ghost. You know what he's thinking? We're all going to die. That's what he's thinking. He thinks this is it. The spirits have come to take us to join them. And then he recognizes that it's Jesus and he's comforted. But I want you to notice this morning, they're not out of God's will in the middle of a storm. They're doing exactly what God told them to do. And yet a storm arises in their lives. You can be right in the middle of God's will and be in the roughest season of your life. Did you hear me? You can be right in the center of God's will and still everything be turned upside down in your life. That can happen. It doesn't mean you've done something wrong necessarily. It doesn't. There are times we're just in a God-designed disruption and we have to ride out the storm. 
Jesus came to them and rescued them. And in the process, they not only received deliverance, they also received a deeper revelation of who Jesus really was. That he was the Lord of nature and the master of the wind. Sometimes you have to keep rowing the boat in the direction Jesus told you to go and trust him to show up in the middle of your storm. Amen? And yet there are times, and I would be not fair to you as your pastor if I didn't warn you about these times, there are other times when I'm not in a God-designed disruption. There are times I am in a self-inflicted distraction. There are times in life whenever I'm in trouble and I drove myself to that location. Do you hear me? There are times we're in the midst of a detour of our own making. And we have to allow for that possibility. And we need to check our situation and find out, Lord, did I do anything to land myself in the trouble that I'm facing? Sometimes the answer is no. But sometimes the answer is yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. Have you ever been right in the middle of a mess that you made? Just me. Well, I'll go home and preach systemize it. Me and R.J. Brown have been in the middle of a mess. that we. R.J., I'm going to preach to you, okay? You and I have been there. Amen. Tonight I'm going to preach about lying. The rest of y'all come back, all right? Come on back. Amen. <laughs> Sometimes we end up in a self-inflicted distraction. We end up in a mess of our own making. We made a shambles of things and we have to dig our way out by God's help. Israel ended up in that mess, right? Numbers chapter 14. God told them to cross over and the Jordan, enter into the promised land, to conquer the land, to take the land, that the time was now, move over. And they rebelled against the Lord. You see, they had already sent spies over. And 10 out of the 12 spies came back and said, Oh, it's a wonderful land. There's just one problem. We're not big enough boys to take that land. There are giants in that land. Oh, it's every good thing God said it was and a few negative things he didn't warn us about. Giants and great walled cities and standing armies. And we're no match for the situation. The Bible tells us that this is what happened to them. Pick up the story with me in Numbers 14, verse 21. I'm reading from the New Living this morning. I'm normally in the New King James, but I wanted you to hear the flow of thought in a little smoother translation this morning. Hear the word of the Lord, Numbers 14, 21. But as surely as I live, this is the Lord now responding to them because they would not obey Him and cross over into the promised land. But they backed up and got fearful. This is what the Lord says. As surely as I live and as surely as the earth is filled with the Lord's glory, not one of these people will ever enter that land. Wow. How many of you think God's mad? God's incensed. Verse 22, not one of these people enter that land. They have all seen my glorious presence and the miraculous signs that I performed both in Egypt and in the wilderness. But again and again they have tested me, refusing to listen to my voice. They will never even see the land that I swore to their ancestors. None of those who have treated me with contempt will ever see it. But my servant Caleb has a different attitude than the others have. He has remained loyal to me. So I will bring him into the land he explored. His descendants will possess their full share of that land. Now turn around and don't go toward the land uh, where the Amalekites and the Canaanites live. Tomorrow you must set out for the wilderness in the direction of the Red Sea. Which way is that? The way they just came from. 
Remember, they crossed the Red Sea at the beginning, the beginning of their journey. And God says, turn around and start heading back that way. Wow. God is upset with them. And these people have now relegated themselves to a 40-year detour. Anybody nervous? That's how long their detour lasted, 40 years. You know how it ended? With their funeral. That's how it ended. Wow. Can I tell you today, it is possible for us to ignore God's voice and make a mess of things to the degree that we really can't alter the entire course of our future this side of heaven. We really can. We can do that. We're capable of messing up that majorly and that largely apart from God's help if we won't listen. God commanded them to cross over and pursue the land, take the land. They would not. They rebel. They resist God. And the Bible says that they threatened to kill Moses and replace him with a leader who will lead him back to Egypt. And God came down and said he killed the ten spies who brought the negative report. He only let the two, Joshua and Caleb, remain alive. And then he said, I'll let them go in in 40 years. And in 40 years, Joshua leads them in and Caleb finally gets the land that God promised him some 40 years earlier. None of this rebellious generation would inherit the promise God sentenced them to one year for every day that the spies were in Canaan land. They took 40 days to spy out the land. And God says, one year for every day that you tested me. 40 years they wander around. And God says, you'll never inherit the land. I'll give it to your children and still keep my promise that I made to your father Abraham. Wow. Talk about a self-inflicted disruption. This was a major one. Amen. I hope none of you are in the middle of one quite this large today. I don't believe that you are. But let me tell you today, if you find yourself in the middle of a mess and you suspect it might be a mess you made, what do you do then? Because the reality is, at least for RJ and I, we sometimes do this. <laughs> we end up in messes of our own making. What can we do when we're in a self-inflicted one? Well, number one, I think the first step uh, to the way out for us is this. Repent. Say it with me. Repent. I know this sounds simplistic, but you've got to start at the beginning. The first thing you do when you realize you've messed it up is you repent. You come before the Lord and you come clean about it. You don't make an excuse. You make a, you make a repentance. You don't just apologize. You change direction. You come before the Lord and you acknowledge it. Acts 3.19, Peter said, Repent therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. If I'll repent, not only will God forgive my sin, what else will he do? He'll send times of refreshing from his presence. He will get me back on track. I can get out of the turmoil and the chaos that I'm in. I can experience his presence again. I can experience his blessing again. But I must repent. I must fix what is lacking. I must address the area where I went off track. Sometimes the detour is caused by disobedience. If so, then I have to confess, repent, and return to God's way for there ever to be a correction. We often want to just apologize and keep going down the wrong road that we're traveling. That won't get us anywhere. 
Life is often like a math problem. Do you remember when you were in the third grade and you had to add up these long columns of numbers? I mean, they'd have like five or six numbers stacked on each other and you had to add all those numbers up and carry the one and add the next column and you had to add them up. You know what? If you make a mistake on step three, it's wrong from there down. And it doesn't matter how hard you work or how far you keep pressing into the problem, you're just going to get, as Abigail says, wronger and wronger. Amen? <laughs> you're just going to keep getting more and more wrong. You're getting further and further away from the solution the further you forge ahead. C.S. Lewis one time said, if you're going the wrong way, the first guy to turn around is actually the most progressive man. <laughs> Sometimes being progressive doesn't mean forging ahead. It means recognizing you're on the wrong road and turning around. Amen? When we realize we're on the wrong road, turn around. God allows U-turns. Backtrack and get back on track. Guys, has your wife ever bought a piece of prefab furniture? You know, they come in the box and they, the bookcases and the little tables and those things. And they've got the, the little, you know, veneer on front that's supposed to look like wood. And we all know it's not really wood. It's press board. And if it gets wet, you'll be buying another one, right? Yeah, you know. They've got the little stickers that look like wood that go over the peg holes. You know what I'm talking about. And most of us guys, if we're honest, we unpack the box and we throw the directions off to the side and we prop up the picture and we just try to make it look like the picture, right? And then about 45 minutes into the project, we realize that something isn't working quite right. And I got these two shelves in, but I can't get the third shelf in. At which point I go pick up the discarded instructions out of the garbage can and realize that that shelf had to go in before the other two or it won't fit at all. And then you get to disassemble it and reassemble it the right way. Amen? Because there's no fixing it until you go back to the step you got wrong. You know what that's called? Repentance. <laughs> Repenting is not apologizing to God for what I've done. Repenting is fixing it. It's changing the behavior. It's doing differently than I've been doing. Amen? The proof of repentance is not my tears. It's changing my actions. That's the proof of repentance. Amen? Can I tell you there are no shortcuts to reaching your destiny. God designed his way and we must go his way. The devil always tries to convince us there's a shortcut. If you'll not go God's way, if you'll color outside the lines, if you'll disregard what God said, if you'll commit an act of sin, you can somehow run an end game and get around God's way. That's what the devil tells us. That's what he told Adam and Eve. That's what he told Jesus in the wilderness, right? There's a shortcut. Turn these stones into bread. You don't have to be hungry. Just throw yourself off the temple. The angels will bear you up. Then everyone will believe you're God's son. Take the shortcut, Jesus. And yet God says there is no shortcut. The sinful road will always lead us into a trap. It will end us up in a mess. There's no fulfillment in ignoring God, uh, his commandments, and doing life our own way. We can play with addictive behaviors and then get pulled under. We believe we can, get to, we can live together instead of get married and enjoy the benefits of a relationship without the commitment that goes along with it. And then we end up heartbroken and sometimes a single parent to boot because we didn't go God's way. We think that we can toss God's directions for living aside and not reap the consequences. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't. We always end up having to repent. Say repent. And so today, if you're in a mess because of disobedience, don't expect your life to get back on track accidentally. 
you must repent. You have to go back to where the error was made and to the best of your ability say, God, starting right here, how do I begin obeying you in this area of my life? We must repent and begin a fresh step of obedience. It doesn't matter how faithful I am to church, how much I give in the offering, or how many people are praying for me. If I'm not willing to stop sinning in that area, my course is not going to get any better. Did you hear me? Oh, my grandma was a praying woman, and she's praying for me. She can't pray you out of sin. You've got to repent. No one can get you out of a self-imposed distraction except yourself, the one who imposed it. And you begin by repenting in any way that you know you've not gone God's way. Amen? Say repent. And number two, you have to, sometimes you have to replace. Say replace. There are times that the issue is not so much I have sinned and as a direct result of my sin, I ended up in a detour. Sometimes it's a little more complicated than that and yet there's still something to do with me involved in it. What do you mean? Sometimes God has to slow down the process of getting me to where I want to go because I'm not ready for that place yet. There is a deficiency in my character and until God addresses that, I can't stand in the place he's destined for me to stand. And if God brought me there prematurely, I'd make a mess and wouldn't be able to handle it. And it would cripple me under the weight of that calling if I step into it before he has prepared me to be ready for that place. The Bible says, him that ministers, let him wait upon his ministry. There are some things we just have to wait on until God gets us ready to walk in those things. Sometimes that's the way it is, a deficit in our discipleship. Romans 5, verse 3 and 4, Paul says, We can rejoice when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they help us develop endurance. And endurance develops strength of character. And character develops our confident, strengthens our confident hope of salvation. Sometimes my character needs working on. And the way God works on character is he sends a trial that I must endure and that endurance develops my character. Amen. You know, they say that whenever someone makes these big clay pots and they put them in the fire, that the way they know they're ready is if they're not ready, when you thump them, they thud. But they're ready when you thump them and they sing. You know, I wonder sometimes if when we're in the trial, God doesn't thump us. And as long as we keep murmuring and griping and complaining and carrying on, God says, nope, you're not done yet. And he closes the door. But when our character is developed, he thumps us and we sing and say, Lord, I love you no matter what's happening. And I'm going to walk with you no matter what's going on. And I'm going to be faithful no matter how long it takes because I love you and I trust you. God says, there's the song I'm looking for. We can turn off the oven now. Sometimes we have to replace something. What do you mean replace? We have to replace or allow God to replace the thing that's wrong in our character with what he's trying to build in its place. We have to let God address these issues in our lives. Let me give you one more verse, 2 Corinthians 4 and 17. Paul says, For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Did you see that? Our light affliction. You say, it doesn't feel light, which is but for a moment. It's been going on for years, Pastor. It doesn't feel like a moment. Well, in light of eternity, it's going to be a moment. Amen? Amen. God says a day with the Lord is a thousand years, and a thousand years is a day. Amen? Amen. 
Lord, can I have a, Lord, how much is a million dollars to you? Oh, about 25 cents. Lord, how long is a, is a, is a day, to, how long is a thousand years to you? Oh, like a day. Lord, can I have a million dollars? He said, in a day. Our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us. Do you see that line? I love that. Now, most of us, if we wrote this verse, would say, my light and momentary affliction is working on us, right? Because that's what it feels like. This thing is working on me. It's working on my nerves. It's working on me. I, I, I can't hardly handle this, Pastor. No, no. The Bible didn't say it's working on us. What did Paul say? Our affliction is what? It's working for us. It's working for us. You may not realize it, but whenever there is a deficiency in our character, God hits the pause button on our progress and says, it's time for you to hit the gym. And God slides us into a detour program to develop our character. He trains us in the spiritual gym of problems and difficulties and trials and tests. And our trials aren't there to work on us. They're there to work for us. God is still working into our lives what he needs to develop in order for us to move on to the next step. The gym. God's toning up some areas that he's still developing. He's causing us to hit the spiritual weight room and getting us in shape for our next assignment. My faith may be weak. So God has to allow a situation that forces me to trust Him more. My endurance may be flagging. So God allows a trial to last a little longer than I hoped it would last to build strength and endurance and perseverance into my character. Why? Because He's mean? No, because He knows what He's going to do with me next. And I'll have to have perseverance in order to make it and stand where He wants to plant me for the next season of my life. Sometimes God sees an area of character. Maybe I'm struggling with my tongue. Maybe I have a tendency to gossip. Maybe there's a lack of self-control. Maybe I've got an issue with my temper. I want to tell you, God will allow a test. He already knows it's true about you, but God will show you that it's true about you so that you'll say, Lord, I see it now, and if you're ready to deal with that, I'm ready also. Has your tongue ever gotten you in trouble? Well, people had told you for years that it was going to, and God finally got your attention and proved you that they were right. And now he says, are you ready to let me deal with that? Hmm. Has your temper ever gotten you into trouble? Well, sooner or later, you'll have a big enough incident that even you will be convinced you've got a problem in that area. And you won't be able to deny it. Sometimes getting caught is an extreme mercy that God gives us, you know it? And it forces us to deal with our issues. And then God says, are you ready now to let me fix that area in your life? And we say, yes, Lord. I can't live in denial of it any longer. If you're ready to, to bring wholeness to this area of my life, I'm ready to let you. Amen? Amen. Are you ready to let God do his work in your life? In God's school, it's no child left behind. In God's school, it's not pass or fail. It's pass or retake the same test until you do pass it. Isn't God good? Amen. You just get to keep going around the same mountain like the Israelites until you learn how to trust Him and you let Him fix what's broken on the inside of you. Can I let you in a little secret? God's got a whole lot longer than you do, so you might want to get with the program. Do you hear me? 
God's not in a hurry. And there are times he just says, I'm not going to let you advance until you let me fix this. And God's got all day. Do you? Pastor, what do you mean? There are times that I'm in a detour over which I have no control and had no blame in. I just have to trust God and plug on through those. But there are times when God shows me there's something in me that needs to be addressed. And if I'm stubborn and won't let him, then I'm the one determining how long I stay in the spin cycle, not God. Mm, it's quiet in the holiness church. There are times that I pray, I actually get alone with God, and if I've been in a trial for some times, I've learned to pray differently. I've learned that there are times I get alone and I say, okay, God, what are you coming after in me that you're wanting to address? Lord, what is the lesson that you're wanting me to learn in this? Because I want to learn it this time around. I'm not interested in the repeat class in the summer. Amen? Some of us would do well to get alone with God and say, Lord, I'm ready to progress. What do I need to do? What do I need to learn? What underdeveloped area of my life needs to be replaced with Christ-like character so I can get back on track quickly with your plan for my future? Number one, repent. Number two, replace. Allow God to build into you what's lacking. And number three, sometimes we just have to regroup. Say regroup. I'm closing with this. There are times whenever what we had planned, listen to me, is just not the same thing God had planned. And it doesn't matter how hard we push on it, it isn't going to happen. It doesn't matter how long we wait on it. There are times when the route we picked for our lives just hits a loggerhead with what God has said. No. There are times God says yes, but there are times like a good parent, God says, no, I'm not doing that for you. That's not my plan for you. That's not my will for you. And in those moments, to keep on plowing ahead is not endurance. It's not perseverance. It's stubbornness and hard-headedness. So there are times we have to regroup. Say regroup. We have to come before the Lord and say, Lord, am I the one who's on the wrong side of this issue? Lord, am I the one who's reading this wrongly? Do I need to address this? Do I need to figure out what your will is and stop insisting on my way? And I need to regroup and get on the same page with you instead of trying to talk you into getting on the same page with me. Hmm. The goal of prayer is to get God's will done on the earth, not to get my will done up in heaven. The prayer is, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Not let our will be done in heaven as it is on earth. The goal of prayer is to get on the same page with God. And for God's will to get accomplished. Prayer is not is designed to align my heart with God's will. There are times though we try to use prayer to bend God's will to our will. And it's times we have to readjust and say, Lord, this isn't working, is it? He says, no, and it's not going to. <laughs> I need you to line up with the way that I'm going. Amen. That's how it works. There's a story uh, years ago from the Navy of a battleship at sea. During routine maneuvers and in heavy weather for many days, and the captain, who was worried about the bad weather conditions, stayed on the bridge to keep an eye on everything. That night, the lookout on the bridge shouted suddenly, Captain, there's a light bearing on the starboard bow. The lookout replied that it was, he asked him, he said, is it stationary or moving? And the man on the bow said, it's stationary. 
that meant the battleship was on a dangerous collision course with this other ship. And so the captain immediately ordered his signalman to signal the ship. And he said, we're on a collision course. I advise you change your course 20 degrees east. Back came the reply. You change your course 20 degrees west. Agitated by the arrogance of the response, the captain asked his signalman to shoot another message. I am a captain. You change your course 20 degrees east. Back came the second response. I am a second class seaman. You had still better change your course 20 degrees west. The captain was furious this time. He shouted at the signalman, send back one final message. I am a battleship. Change your course 20 degrees east right now. Back came the response. I am a lighthouse. It's your call. I want to tell you, friends, there are times we ought to go back to singing, and I thank God for the lighthouse. Because times that the problem is simple. You and I are just plowing ahead in the direction we think we ought to go. And God says, that's not my way. That's not my plan. That's not what I've got. And if you keep going, you're really going to end up in trouble if you keep going down this road. What I need you to do is hear my voice, get on the same page with me, regroup, and let's do this thing the right way and let's do it together. Amen? Sometimes we have to do that. Sometimes we, it's difficult to discern God's will in a particular situation. When God's word makes it clear that we're praying and acting according to his will, then we persevere and we plow ahead and we trust God. But when we're out of God's will on a matter, don't be stubborn. Allow God to correct your course. Years ago, a dear friend of mine, I was struggling with this question of God's will, and he answered the question for me, my buddy uh, in, in, at Holmes Community College. He had just gotten married, and he had his wedding ring on, and he said, Daniel, let me explain how God's will works. He was a pastor's kid, and Paul said, Daniel, imagine this wedding ring is God's will. He said, the inside band is God's will for your life. The outside band is God's word, the principles that he's revealed in his book. And he said, the inside band will never lead you outside of the outer band. God's will is always within God's word. God's plan for your life will never break the, line, the boundary line of God's principles that he's given you in his book. If you have to violate God's word to do something, you're out of the will of God. If you have to disobey a command of God to do something, you're already far afield of what God wants you to be doing. Because the will of God is within the Word of God. The plan of God doesn't violate the principles of God because they're based on His character. Amen? When God's Word makes it clear, move ahead. There are moments we keep pounding on doors that God has providentially shut for our own good. Revelation 3 and 7, Jesus told the church at Philadelphia, These things says He who is holy and true, who has the key of David, He opens and no one shuts. He shuts and no man opens. There are times in our lives that God just shuts the door and no matter how hard we beat upon it, he says, no, I'm not doing it that way. And we have to regroup. Recently in my own life, I faced an issue in prayer. I couldn't get it to work out the way I hoped it would, no matter how hard I pray and how diligently I worked. Finally, I decided the problem is me. And it's time to change my prayer and give God a prayer he can't answer. 
And so I fell on my knees and said, Lord, here's the deal. Above everything else, I want your will in this situation. If my praying has been wrong-headed about this, then you just do what needs to be done. Give me peace about it and I will accept it and move forward with it. And within a week, the Lord did exactly that. There are times to keep praying. And there are times when the Holy Spirit says, you need to adjust the prayer and give God a prayer He can answer. Because you're praying out of the will of God. Hmm. Anybody still with me? <laughs> Let me ask you today as we close. And we prepare to go and enjoy lunch somewhere. Is it possible today that you're in a detour? That there is something you can do something about? I'm just asking. You're the only one that can know the answer to that. But you know what I found out? If I'll get alone with God, He'll whisper the answer to my heart. He'll let me know. If there's something I'm supposed to be doing, I don't believe that God plays hide and seek with us. I don't believe He's mean and, and, and capricious. I don't believe that God, if there's something I'm supposed to be doing that I'm not, I don't believe God will hide that from me until I stumble upon it on my own. I believe if I love the Lord and my heart is turned toward Him and I'll get honest with God, God's a good enough God and the Holy Spirit is a good enough, is a good enough comforter that He'll whisper into my heart, Daniel, there's an issue here and I'm drawing your attention to it and I need you to address this area. And when you do that, things will get back on track for you like they are for me. Would you stand with me all over the Lord's house as Chad comes and we prepare to go? Maybe today you're in a God-designed disruption and you just need to hang in there and trust God's timing and the power of His grace to sustain you in the meantime. We'll talk next week about what you do in the meantime if you're in one of these situations you have no blame and no power over. Come back next Sunday. We'll talk about that. But I could not have peace about preaching this series without laying before you the other option. And that is maybe there is something you can do about something in your life today. Maybe you're in a self-inflicted distraction and you're the only one who can fix it. What do you need to do? Number one, if you're here and you know that you've gotten off track into sin and disobeyed God in some way, repent. Just come clean about it. Quit just plowing ahead and being stubborn. Come before the Lord and say, Lord, I'm owning it. I am owning my part of it. I'm admitting it. I'm coming clean about it. I'm asking you to forgive me. And I'm asking you to help me figure out how do I get back on track and get this thing back on the course that you want me to be on so that I can proceed with your will for my life. Maybe you're hearing it isn't sin, but the Holy Spirit has put His finger on an area of your heart and said, if you will let me address this thing in you, you'll be ready to progress to the next level. But until you allow me to heal what's broken or fix what's lacking in your character, you're going to have to stay in the cycle of detour until your heart gets strong enough. Maybe it's endurance. Maybe it is faith. Maybe it is temper or your tongue or any other number of things. But the Holy Spirit's put His finger on it and you know in your heart what it is. And you've got to come before the Lord and say, Lord, I'm not going to fight you anymore. I'm going to let you fix what's damaged in me. I'm going to allow you, I'm going to cooperate with your grace and let you make me like Jesus. God is not committed to my comfort nearly so much as he is committed to my Christ-likeness. I am predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. God's going to make me like Jesus. Did you hear me? If you're a Christian, God's going to make you like Jesus. Even if he has to take you on a long detour to get you there. Amen. Mm. Maybe you need to regroup today. 
Maybe you're here, and the reason you can't seem to get it straight is because what you've set your heart and mind on is not God's plan or God's will for your life. And maybe you need to come and give God a prayer He can work with instead of just plowing ahead with the one you've been praying. Maybe you need to allow for the possibility, Lord, could it be that I need you to do this differently than I thought you were going to do it? Lord, above all else, I want your will and I want your best. And I'm going to trust you as to how you make that happen. Lord, I surrender it to you. Now, there are things that are not that way. There are times that we often tend to give up on praying for someone who's lost and doesn't know the Lord. Well, pastor's just been so long. Do I need to give up? No, that's not what I'm talking about. God's Word says it's not His will that any should perish. God's Word says it is His will that all be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. If you got a lost loved one who's just being hard-headed, you keep on praying. How do you know? God's Word, God's will. God's will is that they be saved. You keep on praying. How long? Till they get saved or we have their funeral? You hear me? You keep on praying. I'm not talking about that. But I'm talking about these things where we get our hearts set on a hope or a dream or a plan or it happening a certain way and God's word doesn't speak to it directly. Allow for the possibility today that you need to regroup and let God take you a different route. Amen? Amen. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you for your people today. I thank you for their patience and their willingness to hear the word of God. And Lord, today I don't know what they may be facing I look around the room and I know a lot, of, a lot of the situations in the room just from knowing our people. But Lord, I don't know what issues today may be plaguing our people to the point where they are just exasperated and exhausted. But Lord, I pray that today, if they're in the midst of something they did not cause and cannot fix, that you would just strengthen their hearts. That you would give them the grace to endure. That you would help them to rise above it and to trust you. And to keep on plowing and allow you to give them the grace they need to walk this road. But Lord, I pray today, if there's anyone in this room who needs to repent because they've gotten off track by sin and disobedience. I pray today that they wouldn't be hard-headed and arrogant and proud, but they would humble themselves. And they would come and kneel and say, Lord, I am coming to repent of my sin. I know that a lot of the mess in my life was because I got on the wrong road. And I'm asking you today, I repent and I'm asking you, help me find the way to get back on track with your will for my life. Lord, I pray today for those that are here that you've got them in the waiting room in the detour cycle because there's some area of their character that isn't developed yet. Lord, I pray that you'd speak to them today. I pray if there's something in their heart they're not surrendering or not seeing or not allowing you to address, today would be the day that the blinders come off and they realize, Lord, I'm going to have to let you mature me in this area of my character in order to be able to move forward. And Lord, I surrender today. Help me do what I can to grow up in this area so I can get off the side road and back onto the main path. And Lord, I pray today for those in the room who maybe they're just beating their head against the wall. Maybe they're pounding their head against a closed door that you have no intention of opening. And today in your mercy and grace, your Holy Spirit's going to whisper to their heart that they need to regroup. They need to pay attention. They need to let your Spirit speak. They need to let you take them a different route. Lord, I pray today you give them the grace to trust you and surrender to you, to offer you a prayer you can work with, and to say, Lord, not my will, but yours. Not my way, but your way. Lord, I want your will above everything, and I want you to do this the way it needs to be done. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. For just a moment, if you need to pray.
We're going to sing. Then I'm going to dismiss us. Then we'll come, we'll go come back tonight. But if you need to pray, take the opportunity. Your course can correct if you'll repent, if you'll replace, if you'll regroup from your own way. Let God speak to your heart today. Let's sing to the Lord. Thank you for listening to our podcast at The Hill. We pray that you are blessed by this message. For more information on what's happening at The Hill and to stay connected, visit our website at foresthillcog.org, join our Facebook page, facebook.com slash foresthillcog, or download our app from the iTunes or Google Play Store.